mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi listeners, a note before we start. We are preparing for a summer-themed episode in which Matt Vela, the editor of FT Weekend magazine, comes on the show and he and I help you have the summer of your lives. But we can't do it alone. We want to crowdsource it. So I'm here to ask you to send us one small thing that you like to do that makes your summer 90% better. Here are some examples from our team. Get a lightweight foldable chair. Makes your summer better. Make a friend with a boat. Be the last person on the beach. Buy extremely last-minute concert tickets, like moment-of concert tickets. One of mine is just don't overstructure your summer. Take Fridays off without a plan and just wander. Just let your city take you where it wants. So, okay, send us your summer tips. Deadline is this Wednesday, May 31st. There's a link in our show notes where you can easily record us a voice message and send it. Matt and I will play some of them on the show and talk through them. You can also email us at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com or message me on Instagram at Lila Rack. Okay, have fun with it and let's get on to the show. Growing up in the 1980s, the author Curtis Sittenfeld watched a lot of romantic comedies. So many that they were kind of burned into her brain. I saw a lot of those golden age of rom-com movies in the theater mm-hmm. as a teenager. And they mm-hmm. were kind of imprinted on me. So it's like I saw, you know, when Harry met Sally in the theater. I'll have what she's having. Notting Hill, four weddings and a funeral. I'm also just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. Dirty dancing, say anything. So I have those movies in my bloodstream. Curtis is a best-selling author. She's written seven novels and two books of short stories. And she's known for being this smart, satirical commentator on modern American life. Her novel, Rodham, envisions who Hillary Clinton would have been if she hadn't married Bill. In her latest book, called Romantic Comedy, she takes on modern love. Curtis loves rom-coms and she loves love. But she also knows that there's a real difference between how love is portrayed in TV and movies and what it's like in real life. I think that the the nuclear family, which seems tied obviously very closely to sort of the two-person monogamous marriage, can be very isolating for a lot of people. A lot of people are not that happy, Mm -hmm. you know, feel, feel kind of bored, overwhelmed, mm-hmm. like, again, isolated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think they all get the married stuff- and they're like, forever? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Curtis likes the way the romantic comedy genre has been expanding. She also wants to see more. More kinds of people falling in love and more kinds of love. Today, we talk about it. This is FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. 
Here's what romantic comedy is about. The main character is Sally. She's a comedy writer in her late 30s, and she writes for a weekly sketch show called Night Owls. She starts to notice that these gorgeous celebrity women are coming through to guest host the show, and a lot of them are getting with her kind of very average-looking male co-workers. This realization comes from something Curtis noticed on Saturday Night Live. People like Scarlett Johansson marrying Colin Jost or Kim Kardashian dating Pete Davidson. So in the novel, it crosses Sally's mind that this would never happen to her. Like a sexy, famous man would never get with the funny, smart, very normal-looking woman. But then... Romance ensues. Sally meets a man named Noah. He's a wildly famous heartthrob pop star, kind of cheesy, and he guest hosts the show. And he kind of flips that theory on its head. Curtis, welcome to FT Weekend. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. So you have joined us to talk about romantic comedies today because you just came out with a novel about romantic comedy that is a romantic comedy that's called Romantic Comedy. And uh, to start, great title. (laughs) Thank you. Um, And so just to set the premise for listeners, if they haven't read your novel yet, there's Sally, the smart Saturday Night Live writer. And there's Noah, the hot pop star, and they may or may not fall in love. Can you, like, set the scene a little bit for us? (laughs) (laughs) They may or may not. (laughs) Will they, won't they? This may or may not be a novel about, like, a man and a woman who meet and flirt. And then I I don't really know what happens. (laughs) Um, So they're both in their late 30s. Sally has been at the Night Owls, the sketch comedy show for nine years. She's successful and confident. She was married and divorced in her early 20s. And she's not sort of actively yearning to get married. I think she just kind of feels like whatever is available to her is not what she particularly wants. Right. Okay, so you started writing romantic comedy in 2021. Why? Like, how did it come about? So early 2020, in spring 2020, my novel Rodham was published, which was this alternate history of of the life of Hillary Clinton. If she had Mm -hmm. met and fallen in love with Bill Clinton, but not married him. So good. And um, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So and that was a, a book that had, you know, required a lot of research and it's a very political novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was then at that point, people would say to me, what's the next thing that you're going to write? And I would say, I want to write something short and fun. And I go down the path of writing this, this sort of utopian community ish novel, which I was doing a lot of research for And I found the research super interesting, mm-hmm. but I thought this is not shaping up to be a novel that's short and it's not shaping up to be a novel that's fun. I'm like, I'm like over two on my goals. And then it gets to be summer 2021. And I, I had, I very consciously wanted to write something fun and fizzy and escapist because I wanted like, I wanted more fun in my own life. Mm -hmm. And, um, it felt like, okay, if I can combine people flirting and falling in love and the setting of, of a late night sketch comedy show, like like the chances of that being fun and escapist for me is very high. Mm-hmm. The, the daily grind of the pandemic 
could be like set aside while I entered the world of romantic comedy. This might not be how you think about it, but how did you think about the arc of the story and the idea of happily ever after? And like, I don't want to spoil it, but you know, if Sally and Noah do end up together, who knows, then it becomes a traditional rom-com in some ways, right? Like she gets super rich and presumably moves into his castle in LA and they live happily ever after. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, so as some people have said to me like, Oh, do you see yourself as subverting the, the romantic comedy? And I would say not especially like one, I think there is a lot of subversion going on already. And I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, people who don't read romances would probably be surprised by you know, I think I think they're they're quite different from 20 yes. years ago in a way that I think is healthy and exciting. There's a lot more right diversity totally. in terms of like race or queerness. So, I mean, I think that Sally herself struggles with the question of if she ends up with this rich, handsome man who's also famous, you know, mm-hmm. does she lose her identity? Mm-hmm. And is that a sacrifice worth making? And I think I think that's like that's a question that's handled realistically. Like it's not yes. it's not. I think that maybe the fairy tale version of things would be like, who wouldn't want to move into the mansion in L.A.? And I think she's sort of like, do I or don't I? Yeah. Yeah. It's an active choice. I'm really curious about sort of like how rom-coms are changing how they're diversifying and how they're like different ways that we visualize them than we used to when they were really popular. Um, I feel sort of like there was this golden time for rom-coms in the nineties where they were these like big box office draws and they were Mm -hmm. taken seriously by the Academy and they were weird, like Jerry Maguire and they were sort of deranged. Like you've got mail, like there were so many types. Um, And it feels like now a lot of them just go straight to Netflix and streaming and they kind of often like disappear as soon as they show up. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts about that. Like maybe it's a Hollywood business model thing. Maybe what we want has changed. Like dating apps are changing how we find love. And so the way we fantasize about finding love is different. No, I think I think those are those are interesting questions. I mean, I think the reality. So it feel movies feel different in general. I mean, I've seen the last two romantic comedies that I saw. I watched um, Ticket to Paradise. That's what mm-hmm. it's called. Right? The the Julia Roberts George Clooney, which I thought was actually, I mean, it was thoroughly entertaining. Yeah, I think they're supposed to be in their late fifties, which I found kind of fun and refreshing. Yeah. And also, I mean, Julia Roberts and George Clooney, it's like platonic ideal, the OG rom-com couple. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But again, it's, I mean, they're much older Older. than those movies, you know, that starred Meg Ryan 30 years ago. And -hmm. then I also saw a British rom-com called Rye Lane. It's super charming and delightful. Mm. Um, the the leads are black, as are many of the cast members, which mm-hmm. is not was not the case again with you know, there's almost exclusively white leads in the mm-hmm. the the rom coms from the nineties. Totally that, that I most remember. So so I feel like the state of the rom com is maybe more robust than, than people 
want to give it credit for. Like, it's just our, our culture is um, so splintered or something that yeah. it's really hard for anything to get attention or anything to be the the show that everyone saw or the movie that everyone saw or the book that everyone read at this point. Yeah. I also think maybe like the way that we define rom-coms might be different now. Like they used to be, as you were saying, pretty set. It was like two people, a man and a woman, both white often, both straight, like hijinks ensue, they fall in love. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And now the narrative is like, there's so many types that, you know, crazy rich Asians like could be a rom-com. Oh, I think it is. I would definitely classify that. Yeah. And it's sort of like, it's both a rom-com and this ode to like, you know, East Asian culture. Or I was thinking also about Fire Island, which is like a rom-com, but also this like ode to this queer utopia kind of. Yeah, yeah. And a Jane Austen inspired rom-com. And a Jane Austen. Yeah, for sure. Is there anything that you want to see more of that you think we don't see enough? Um, I mean, I think, I think just sort of like I always welcome a movie that assumes the viewer's intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, especially as I get older, I, I like, a middle-aged romance seems delightful to me. Yeah. Um, you know, a little menopause. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who among us doesn't enjoy a menopausal romance? Yeah, no, I agree. I was thinking that too. I also like, I don't know. I would love to see, you know, a something's got to give of today. Like, a, you know, two older people using dating apps. I, I was sort of brainstorming about this about like what other are other films that I would want to see. And um, I thought like, okay, what about these like complicated modern day dating things? Like people on apps who are like polyamorous or in like different forms of relationships. I want to see that. Like I want to see, I don't know, an honest account of like being an interracial couple and meeting oh, yeah. each other's families. I want to see. They must exist. Like, they I must. Like they're actually, I just started watching... Um, the Russian doll, the, yes. you know, the Nata- and there's mm-hmm. like a sort of, um, you know, polyamorous situation going on that one of the characters is kind of cheerfully waking up from. So like, I think mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah. Or, it all um, kind of counts. I guess all of these things, it's just, yeah, all of these things are satisfying that itch. It's just, there's just so m- many more. I mean, I think that that the volume of choice Mm -hmm. allows us to be very picky and maybe even easily dissatisfied. And, you know, I came of age like in the 80s and 90s. It was like you watched whatever was on TV, Mm -hmm. you know, like you did not have this this huge array of choices, which I think is a gift in some ways. But it can almost feel like if if not everything is an A plus viewing experience. It can feel like it's a waste of time. Yeah. Cause there's so much else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or like, yeah. How many episodes do you give a show? Yeah. I mean, I feel that there's a strong correlation here to dating. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. How much time do you give a person? Curtis and I went on this long tangent talking about all the conflicts that are baked into how we think about love today. Of course, most people crave love and romance, but it comes with all these traditional customs. You know, do we still want our fathers to give us away? And the answer might be maybe or yes. 
But the fact that marriage began as a form of ownership doesn't always square well with modern partnership. I was at dinner with a friend recently, and uh, we were talking about love and romance. And we were like, you know, we'll never fully understand it. (laughs) And then we like looked around the restaurant and thought, laughed, like thinking about all the different people who were also probably talking about love and romance. We believe in love. We want happiness. We don't understand it. We're still sort of like, I don't know. Our hands are in the goo of trying to make sense of it. And I think that's kind of nice. Yeah. I mean, I agree completely. And I think actually this might be surprising given that I wrote a novel called Romantic Comedy that's about people falling in love. But I actually, like if someone wanted to make the case to me that love is all a lie and it's it's this like <laughs> sort of narrative that we all kind of perpetuate um, together or like, you know, I've heard the argument that it's mayor, obviously marriage has its origins in like the consolidation of political power and real estate. Mm-hmm. Any counter argument to love, I would be super interested in reading or discussing. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, I'm not particularly invested in making the case. I mean, I, I think that there is such a thing as really beautiful, transcendent moments of connection between people. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm not, I'm not sure about like sort of lasting love, <laughs> you know, or like, I don't know. Like, I, so, so I, I think that the kind of debating all that is, mm-hmm. is interesting. Yeah. I'm curious if there were like tropes that you knew you were sort of didn't want to fall into? Were there certain things as you were writing that you were like, no? I will get asked often. And I think that that a lot of writers are like, what's the message in the book? Or what were you trying to say? Mm-hmm. And for me, it really is sort of more abstract than that. And kind of like more, more nuanced and more um, like more messy, I guess. Like you, I'm not, I'm not trying to sort of say, this is the state of love in 2023 or, you know, this is what a heterosexual woman should or shouldn't do. It's more like, you know, it's, it's so weird being a person. And and these are some of the experiences a person can have that are like swoony and delightful. And, Mm -hmm. and then these are some that are kind of like cringy and and horrible and embarrassing. And you mix them all together and then you have a novel. (laughs) Amazing. Um, uh, Curtis, this was an absolute pleasure. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you. I have listed Curtis's books and all the romantic comedies mentioned in the show notes. That's the show this week. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the life and arts podcast of the Financial Times. Next week, we are going to South Africa to talk about copper thieves with the journalist Monica Mark. It's going to be fascinating. Also, remember our call out. Tell us one small thing that you can do that might make your summer 90% better. The link for how to contact us is in the show notes. Just go do it now. Don't overthink it. Also in the show notes is a link to an excellent discount on an FT subscription if you want to subscribe and see what's going on in our pages. 
That is also at ft.com slash weekend podcast. As you know, we love hearing from you. You can email us at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com. The show is on Twitter at ftweekendpod. And I am on Instagram and Twitter at Lila Rapp. I am Lila Raptopoulos, and here's my world-class team. Katya Kamkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Molly Nugent is our contributing producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer, and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Have the best weekend, and we will find each other again next week. <laughs>